0: This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms live. And now, on with the show. everyone welcome to wandering dms
1: i'm paul and i'm dan and on this episode of wandering dms we're going to be talking about character expenses what are the things that uh, your player characters are spending money on and that's something that's changed uh, between different editions of dnd uh, maybe in your game you have different emphasis or different menu options for characters um all that and more today on wandering dms oh i should do like a like a What things do they spend money on, and how much do they cost, and uh, when should they get rid of them? Eh? (laughs) Like that. Um, So you know, Paul. Like uh, I think last season we had an episode talking about economy, and we were, and (laughs) to our to our mutual surprise, that actually got more hits than a lot of our other episodes, strangely. But we were talking about things like trade and baronies and kind of like high-level economic stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think somebody, some viewer asked, why don't you do more about like the player expenses? So maybe the prior thing was ways that money come in, and this episode's more about ways that money go out.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a real problem, honestly, and it's something uh, I've seen come up in, yeah. in both my BX campaign and my fifth edition campaign. Eventually, the players are sitting on mountains of gold, and how do you give them a reason to drain it? Right. There you go. And certainly,
1: of course, you know, uh, it, this is t- super familiar to us and a lot of our viewers. Um, the early, you know, the early version of the game, the primary way that you leveled up and got experience was by getting treasure. Right. Every gold piece you get out of a dungeon, that's an experience point. That's actually the primary way that you level up, as a matter of fact. Right. So as a result, you'd wind up having these enormous mounds of, you know, dragon hordes that the player characters actually have. Mm hmm seems a little silly. So sometimes we're looking for ways to, opportunities to to drain that as a matter of fact. So that's why it's on a lot of our minds.
0: And in in older editions too, I think that combines with the geometric XP production, uh, um, X, can't talk. Progression. Progression. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. To to really like make it really a horrible problem, right? Come level, even level four or five, suddenly, uh, yes, the party who was, uh, you know, interested in a hundred gold piece reward to go save the, you know, missing child is now like, we'll just buy the whole town. Like, whatever. We have millions. <laughs> you know, just a little side, little side
1: tangent here. Uh, last night on the channel, uh, Isabel and I ran a uh, Book of War stream. And I, I tangled up words and spoonerism so many times. I needed the viewers to correct me about three times on crap that i misspoke oh, so funny. i just, that's funny it's going around it's going around these days so thank you viewers for the help um yeah yeah
0: so yeah we have a lot of stuff i've I have a ton of notes you have a ton of notes this is possibly of i have course. the most visual aids of any uh any <laughs> show we've done so we should we should jump right into this dan um, Tell me,
1: Paul, what, what, yeah. what, I mean, you're the, you're the more of the 5th edition expert than I am. Tell me what are the primary things in 5th edition that uh, player characters are spending their money on these days. Okay,
0: great, great. So let's, let's start with just simple upkeep, right? So lifestyle expenses, day-to-day, how much does it cost to live? Uh, so 5th edition in the Player's Handbook gives us this nice little chart of different lifestyle levels you can live at and a, and a goal piece cost per day. Uh, It gives us then descriptions of those different levels, right? Anything from wretched and squalid uh, up to wealthy, uh, aristocratic. Um, You can see that uh, the bottom of the chart's uncapped. It's 10 gold piece minimum, but we can spend as much, you let them spend as much as they want. And that's uh, a trick certainly I've done in the past, is anytime players want to buy something, like I want to buy like a really nice blah. And I say, well, at minimum, it's going to cost you 100 gold, but... You can sink as much into it as you want, and I will regulate how fancy it is based on how much you spend. And a lot of times yep. players will just, just dump money into that.
1: Yep. Yeah. You know, I have the same thing, actually. So in my, my, my OD&D game, I have players that have quite a bit of money, and so they wind up bejeweling things they carry around. Like, they actually yeah. they don't they don't trust leaving it in some safe space, so they actually have, like, a, a golden scepter with a whole bunch of gems on it. They actually just cart around on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and i and i'm kind of in the same boat on that
0: actually yeah the yeah. uh, interesting thing here i think is like this chart even at wealthy is only going up to four gold pieces a day which i think is mm-hmm. not very much so like right. you're just your basic like you know how much does it cost to live is pretty freaking low and it's not really right. going to be a major drain
1: Right. They're more or less doubling it each step, but it's yeah. still not yeah. very much. Yeah. Now, I will point out, this is very, very similar to a chart that was uh, back in 3rd edition. So it's it might be the exact same tier. So as usual, uh, a lot of stuff that I see in 5th edition looks very, very similar to 3rd edition to me, and I think that this chart comes right. almost entirely right out of 3rd edition, actually, as a variant, if I recall.
0: So um, so what else can we do to drain money in 5th edition out of our characters? Uh, there are some options in the Dungeon Master's Guide um under uh downtime activities uh so we get we get stuff like carousing hey look it's carousing oh really yeah yeah Yeah. it's not it's not it's not the the carousing you think it is dan but it is carousing uh i said we were eventually going to talk about carousing on here and for sure we'll talk about uh the form of carousing i love to use which is Jeff jeffreant's carousing Uh, this carousing table basically just lets you sink some money in and roll on a chart and it, it's basically gambling, so the chart will either give you some money back or drain more money from you. But that's about it. Uh, and it has a little, some little like, you know, role play stuff that you can that you can bring in. But it's not quite Jeff Reince's carousing rules. Um... Before we before we dig into that, I'll just quickly cover the DMG. Also gives us some stuff like building a stronghold.
1: Just tell me that, what, what's the reward? Yeah. I'm sorry, Paul, what what's the reward for that carousing there? Do you get do you get experience? Is is there risk more, involved more, more money? money
0: honestly, it's it's more money. A, yeah, more <laughs> money. It doesn't doesn't quite drain. Uh, it can it can drain because you got to put right. money in. It's basically gambling, right? right? You put money in, and either yeah, you're going perfect. to lose yet more money or get some money back. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it basically really is. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much.
1: I like
0: it. You would see here on the same page we have building a stronghold, so we have our costs for constructing okay. pieces of a of a stronghold. That's that's classic. I think we we talked a lot about that in the past, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on that one. Um, and on our next page, we have stuff like crafting magic items or running a business. Um, there's okay. some other stuff in here, but those are the two major ones that where I see like money values attached. Crafting a magic item is interesting, and in general, I'd say a lot of fifth edition players, I think, see that as the major money sink is magic items. Do you allow trade of magic items, buying and selling okay. of magic items? Um, okay. You'll see this on Critical Role. Like the big thing that they're always saving up their money for is to buy a magic item. Great, great. So that's
1: the it, most. You know, eighty percent of these themes have been there since yeah. the inception. So the, these are these are. It's good to know that this is this is a place where we can hold hands with current players. Um, and yeah. and and be be familiar that these are these yeah. are D and D on your mind. That's good for to sure, know. Actually, sure. to
0: I will I will pick a little bit on the running a business chart here because uh, the the yeah. outcome ranges from paying up to one and a half times the business maintenance cost all the way up to the business covers its maintenance cost and earns a profit. What's the maintenance cost though? Doesn't say. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know we've all we've all made mistakes like this i feel or, yeah. or or oversights or run into trouble troubling things to solve so i i have i've run into the same kind of problem myself kind of too bit so it's just a straight roll it's just like bam
0: roll uh it's let's like see percentile dice uh, and here's rolls a, percentile dice and adds the number of days spent on the activity so the more downtime you sink into it i guess the better your chances oh
1: wow well, yeah. you know interesting yeah it's
0: a starting point um, yeah yeah I mean most of the downtime activities in the dungeon masters guide are kind of a little loose and uh you know it's just trying to like give you ideas and 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 push push you in directions and um I would say they're not they're not thorough systems um let's let's talk about carousing though because that's that's the big yeah. one I want to go back to um yes yeah. I have in here I should have somewhere, hopefully. Jeff Reince is carousing. Um, this is uh, from uh, from his blog, uh, which I forgot to actually include in the Ooh. clip. Um, his blog is J I'm probably saying his last name wrong. R-I-E-N-T-S dot blogspot dot com. Classic, seen it 10,000 times
1: and then realized you don't know loud. how to pronounce it. Never, right
0: until never. We in public. Yep. So sorry, <laughs> Jeff, if I'm mangling your last name, just realizing now I've never heard it said out loud. Okay. <laughs>
1: Such a DD thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this basically, the idea here, and this is interesting because it came up, in, I just saw it scroll by in our chat of what about spending money to get XP? Um, now, this, this uh, Jeff's rules here basically double dip. They It's assuming you're in an OSR or old school or uh, classic D&D setting where you're getting XP for the money you find, and then he allows you, when you go back to town, to spend that money to get another XP per gold piece, right? So you, you're double dipping. Um, but there's a cost, and that cost is you then have to make some dice rolls and potentially something bad happens to you uh there is a mishap and he gives you a chart you can only see about the first 10 items in the chart here there's there's actually 20 on his on his full blog there Um, but there's various stuff like um gaining a reputation as the life of the party so that doubles your your lifestyle costs in this town from here on out or um you get a new tattoo or you're beaten and robbed and you lose all of your personal (laughs) effects yeah yeah so there's all kinds of stuff in here um Really good I, I'm stuff. I'm pretty sure
1: that yeah. there's a result there of like wake up naked in bed with another party member or something like that. Yep, romantic and entanglement. I,
0: yeah. Uh, yep, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's all maybe kinds was, of stuff. Maybe like
1: that it. was a flourish to romantic entanglement. And then when we were when we were playing at, at your place a couple of years back, over the course of the weekend, like every party member wound up in bed with every other every party other member party by member, yeah. the weekend,
0: yeah. I think by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, yep. Yep. A lot of stuff like that. Um, and then there's expanded versions of this table. This, this table got very popular and people made giant versions with lots of entries. So probably when yeah, we were playing, I, I might've been playing on the expanded table. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the thing I like about it is that it injects things into the campaign on is another source of yeah. unexpected wrinkles into the campaign. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Players, in my experience, freaking love it. They love... There's a huge gambling aspect to it, um, and they love to just dump their money into this and see what nonsense their their character gets up to. Yeah. People, uh, people like it. Yeah. I, the only the downside to it, I would say, is I've seen players struggle with it who are trying to play more upright characters. I remember... Um, yeah. I remember bj in particular playing a paladin yeah. who he thought was like very right. morally upstanding and was like well I wouldn't right. do this but then he was feeling yeah. as a player left out because he wanted to roll <laughs> on the tables yeah. you know what i you know I, I felt that
1: same honestly I felt that same thing myself actually I get that um you know there's a you know there's part of me where you know the world is terrible and uh the, the medieval world that I'm simulating is you know, gruesome and life is horrible. And, you know, that even the, the upstanding people, the people attempting to be upstanding get dragged in down to the gutter has been it actually kind of been entertaining for me to watch using the carousing tables. So there's there's pros and cons to that. But I, but I get that. I've actually been torn about using it myself sometimes.
0: I, I, I like it so it is a money sink um I would say it's that's for me that's not its primary reason although I, I that's a side benefit for me of using it I like that it it drains drains some money out of the players and I like that it introduces random effects uh, so there was a comment I think in the chat about about and I've heard people doing this before of just going full bore into that and just saying you don't get any XP for gaining for finding coins you have to spend them to get the XP mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is an interesting angle right again it's you're not at this point, now you're not screwing with the leveling progression, um, but you're basically right. saying, "All right, players, find a way to spend your coin. Right? Either go out drinking right. and gambling and whatever, or you know, become a builder, investor, whatever." Right. Um, I definitely had a player in my BX campaign who was playing a paladin. This is not BJ's different different player, um, who then started not only just tithing money, but like actually like built an orphanage. It's like, "I'm going to build an orphanage." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, great. That's, That's nice. Great. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Nice. So, so I did stuff like that. Um, That's nice. What so have
1: you ever used the, the you gotta you gotta you, I don't think you've ever taken the step of <clears throat> all XP comes from spending money. I don't think you've ever I,
0: done that, have you I haven't, although I honestly find it tempting. I think if I was gonna run another old school game, I would I would consider it. That's an interesting idea. Uh, the only thing uh, I would worry about that is um, how does that fit with carousing because I want the carousing rules yeah. in there. Okay. Uh, maybe Krause is one of many ways that you could spend your money to get XP.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Maybe. Here's my here. I, I, at one point, I thought really hard about the spending money for XP, and here here's here was the takeaway after I did some reading. And this could be just me defending my biases or something like that. But like, if you look at you know the standard pulp literature, like Fafhrd and the Gray Mouser or something like that, when they get money, when they when they get a treasure of gems, they're super happy. They're incredibly mm-hmm. happy, incredibly like upbeat, happy, like they're on top of the world. And then when the when the gems or jewelry get they get tricked out of it or it gets stolen from them, they're they're way they're way down and and they seem like they're, you know, emotionally at the bottom of their 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 uh, rope. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the exper- that's that's the reverse of the experience coming in for money going out. Um, I feel like what what I'm seeing in the pulp literature is what classic D&D models is money comes in and you're happy money goes out and you're not so happy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's having reread Faford and the Gray Mouser, particularly the Stardock story. Actually, I think this is how this happens. um, I was like, that doesn't that doesn't seem to model the pulp literature that I'm reading. So I have I that's anyway, that's my current defense for my biases for old school D&D.
0: Interesting. Wait, yeah. so so are you arguing? Sorry, that oh that that's the argument for why you shouldn't get XP for spending money, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 right. yeah.
1: Because because obviously that's an incentive for doing it, right? So if you right. get experience, then your the players will be looking for. I want to get rid of this money,
0: right? And, right, right. Uh,
1: well, and, and see, that's the I, opposite of what the characters, what the characters in the in the literature are doing.
0: I guess I, I I feel like that's a point where I would lean more into the separation of player and character. I think the player wants to get rid of the money. I'm not sure that the character does, and I would like because I would look at both ways of again the the two extremes of one. My character is a lech, and he's just gonna as soon as he gets money, he's gonna go out and yeah. spend it on a wild party. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is he's happy to have money because he can now go spend it on having fun? The end result is right. he has no money and he gains experience. Right. Sure. I'm going to hit you with a murky yeah. mirror here. Yeah.
1: I'm going to hit you with a murky mirror, and I don't mind having those things be aligned, sort of. I don't. I don't mind having the incentives for the player aligned with the incentives for the
0: character. Yeah, but you're not. You're not allowing for me to delight in the misfortunes of my character. As a as a player, I find it hilarious when my character <laughs> wakes up naked at the local temple and uh, you know is in serious trouble. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> That definitely is not Murky Mirror, right? That's the opposite of Murky Mirror.
1: <laughs> All right. It, you know, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a good, uh, it's I have not I haven't, I haven't gone, I haven't gone there in my own games, but uh, you make okay. a good point. Okay. You make it a good point. Um, that is, then, that is an interesting scene.
0: Yeah. And it also does allow for the, the character who wants to build orphanages, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, he does want to spend yeah. money, right? He wants to, he wants to yeah. better the world around him.
1: You know, I, I wouldn't mind, like, my, my first stab at something like that is now you have a bonus on reaction rolls in the area or you have additional allies or something like that. Oh, sure. Uh, my, my, my gut instinct wouldn't be go to, to give experience for that. Whoops. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Unplug my uh, headphones, sorry. I'm back. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. I don't know if I need it again. I've also I would also counter with um I, I feel like part of that is a reaction to not wanting the double dip from carousing, and I don't yeah. mind the double dip from carousing. I've never seen it seriously imbalance things. The the yeah, numbers
1: it actually didn't bother me yeah, <coughs> either.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't think the numbers are severe enough to actually yeah. make a make yeah. a. On paper,
1: on paper, I think I might have said that, yeah. but um. um now the other thing I guess is with the geometric XP, right? It it, may, it it has the potential to make more of a difference at a low level, and as you get to higher levels, it's probably going to make less and less difference.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Definitely depends on how you run it. I've I've in the past yeah. um, ratcheted up the amount of money and XP that can trade hands. Um, usually based on the on the level of civilization you're in, like a big city, you can spend right. more and have a wilder party. Right. Conveniently, right. that also usually follows the arc of my games. Players at first level usually are in some podunk village, and you know, as they get higher in level, they're more likely to go check out the big cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's a coincidence, or I don't know. Maybe that's just mm-hmm. the way I run my game.
1: I like what John Miller is writing right now in yeah, chat. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay. He's, he's supporting. My, I think he, I believe he's supporting my argument, and therefore, I give. He gets extra. He gets extra points. Yeah.
0: You have a particular um, line in here you want me to show?
1: Uh, but if PCs were forced to lose or waste money or XP, then they don't benefit from the treasure in other ways. So maybe that maybe that's a segue. Um, uh, uh, so it kind of yeah, makes yeah. A treasure a hollow reward if you're if you're dumping it uh, to just get the XP, and there's no. Concrete in-world uh, benefit guess, to the money.
0: I guess I didn't assume that that it was either or. In my assumption, it yeah. was you got XP for spending money, but it wasn't like that money vanished. Like you would spend the money on carousing or building an orphanage or buying a magic item or whatever. Point is, money goes out, you get XP. Interesting. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's the direction I would go with it. Because I still want all those story elements, right? Like, I want carousing that's going to generate this crazy stuff where you get in trouble with the local temple. Likewise, I want a player to be able to build an orphanage so that I can attack it with uh, evil evil monsters, right? Like, <laughs> all of these add wonderful wrinkles to my game, and, and I want them. So so I guess I want both. I want... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We agree that there ought to be some kind of in-game benefit yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to to getting the cash, right? And so, and and this is what we've been wrestling on, wrestling with for years and decades of like what is the what is the appropriate, interesting things. So maybe maybe we'll segue to where this all started with some original D anD D stuff. Sure. In particular, there's one thing in particular actually that is we're going to see in original D anD D that was deleted or at least forgotten about in all future editions. So that's actually the one that I kind of want to stick a pin in so um so here's uh the first printing Mm -hmm. of original D &D, little brown books and so first of all there's an equipment list i mean we all know that there. uh probably stuff you can buy at first level um at the but you know they're including armor and weapons and stuff like that there's horses and then way down at the bottom there's a couple big ticket items like galleys and warships which to yep. me has an Ar- Arnesonian flavor. I'm, g- I'm going to take a stab and guess that's probably Dave Arneson's handiwork, mm-hmm. why that's there. But enough of that. We, we know there's equipment lists. And then um, in the, pl- the next thing in the player's book, actually, is magical research. And so you mentioned, Paul, one of the big things in 5th edition is trying to save up for magic items.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is actually in the player's book actually where it's the last page i believe uh magical research is having your magic users and clerics make new unique spells mm-hmm. on the last page and that's a big that's a big ticket item actually so what the text there says is you need to pay two thousand gold just to try to make a new first level spell and doubling each le- actually quadratically it's quadratic each level actually so 4000 at sixth se- second level 9000 at third level up to 64000 at sixth level and that that amount of money is just an attempt to make it and gives you a 20% chance to successfully make the new spell so you might be dumping 64000 gold pieces and only have a 1 in 5 chance to successfully make your sixth level spell so that's an element that's been intriguing. I had my yep. players use that once, one time only, and it took the it's... entire party's cash and money just to make an attempt at a new spell.
0: I want to. I want to. Um, oh, so I have a list here of things that I can imagine players spending money on between games. Right. Um, and and um, very quickly, I want to go back to to the mm-hmm. equipment list because you mentioned the galleys. Yep. Uh, yeah. So let me just put a pin in the research because I want right. to come back to that. But galleys, uh, transportation in general has always been a money sink in my games, right? Okay. Uh, generally, the way I run my campaigns—and this may be just a stylistic choice—I uh, usually have big, sprawling wilderness with lots of towns and cities and whatnot, and many small dungeons sprinkled around. And that's generally how my campaigns go. I know other folks Whoa. maybe like just put giant mega dungeon, right? And and that's their campaign. And I think the problem with that is you don't get transportation costs how do we get to the lost island where all these treasures are i guess we got to buy a boat right uh i've had many players sink ridiculous money not only into buying a boat or a cart or however they want to transport right but oh you're going to transport now you have this cart and this wagon train with all your stuff and now i'm going to attack it oh now we have to hire retainers to defend it right it, it and then Inevitably my players also then want to customize it because they want it to look cool. Right? <laughs> so so now not only do they, have they bought a fancy cart and retainer uh, hired retainers to defend it, but they're also getting that Griffin they killed taxidermied so that they can put pieces of it on the cart, so it's the cart uh <laughs> I swear to God, in my long career of DMing, at some point I'm going to start to expect that,
1: and I never do. I never do. Whenever they go for the, I'm going to bling it out. I'm like, really? What the hell? Kind of what incentive do you accept? Not in the rules. What am I? They love what? it. Some day I would awesome. start expecting that.
0: Yeah. Because it's awesome. That's why. Uh, I started honestly. I started engaging in that. Uh, I have famously in my campaign. I always have this very high level wizard who is usually a source of information to the party and who sends them on quests and whatnot. And I always give him a ridiculous pension for taxidermy. He loves taxidermy, and the players are super intrigued by that. And then they'll use it to the, both to their advantage and disadvantage. And it's hilarious. Uh, viewers of, ma, of the, our of our um, uh, original birthday stream will remember him as Peltar, who uh, delighted in having a, a, a three egg uh, cockatrice omelet,
1: uh, because...
0: <laughs> which yeah. still bothers me sometimes. Still...
1: <laughs> but, you know, I saw a picture of eggs the other day, and I was like, "Oh, geez, that Peltar
0: guy that's, that,
1: seemed, that seemed unwise."
0: It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that's certainly a sink. Transportation in general, and then and then blinging up your transportation. Um, but let me go back to the research. Um, yep. So here's my problem with this research: is one, it requires invention, right? You're only going to do this if you want to invent a whole new spell. How often does that happen? Probably happened uh, a lot I, back I, in the day, and maybe not, not so much now.
1: Yeah, it's actually you. Alternatively, uh, if you're if you're in a in a context where uh, the DM is being tight-fisted about the spells where you can't just pick stuff off the list you have to go find it in the world this this also gives an opportunity to recreate uh magic missile spell. so you haven't yep. found a magic missile spell for your book yet you can try to recreate okay. it this way
0: that's but most of the time yeah, yeah. um because that's that's certainly i've fallen into that problem i traditionally forget to leave scrolls around enough and then my, my magic user players are suffering because their their spell books are very empty um uh, this is much more, that's a much more severe, much more costly way to solve that problem. I'm going to show you, uh, so from my long-running BX campaign, here is a page from my notebook where I started to collect all the things that you might spend money on in town. Okay. So so the okay. first thing right up there is, is hire a sage. And what do you want to hire a sage to do? Possibly you want him to identify your magic items. That was very frequent in my campaign. What? We found this magic item. We don't know what it does. Please explain it to us. Since in, in BXD&D there is no spell that just does that, you got to pay a sage to do it. And so I made up some costs. Uh, here you can see it's uh, basically 10 gold pieces per item. Keep in mind I'm using the silver standard, so there's really like 100 gold pieces per item. And he's going to discover one property, the pluses, and one command word. So if there are multiple... Gonna have to pay him again, and again and again. Uh, So that was very frequent, my players would pay for that. And then research in general, um, basically, uh, like I said, my campaign's usually big open world with lots of little dungeons, which means there's a billion leads for the players to, to follow. I remember surprising a player once with this, where he's like, there's so many things going on, like which one are we supposed to do? And I was like, there's no supposed. Right, there's, <laughs> there's many things in the world, and you tell me what you're interested in, and that's what we'll pursue. Um, often to the point of even in my games, I will introduce hooks and leads to an adventure I haven't invented yet. There's just a random idea of something that sounds kind of cool to me, and if the players latch onto it, I will write it, and if they don't, then ignore it. So you'll see this little weird little table here that talks about the cost of research, one gold piece per day or a discount of 18 plus D4 gold piece per month. And then a little two by two chart of how long does the research take? And it depends on if the, if the thing we're researching is general or specific and if it is known or requires invention. And known versus requires invention is literally a note to me, the DM. Do, do I actually know the answer of the thing they're trying to research? Or am I going to have to invent it?
1: oh really okay yeah, all right okay yeah. great i love it so, I so love if i as
0: dm have on. to make some shit up it's gonna take longer in game
1: you know what actually all of a sudden boy that just really thrilled the hell out of me so so there's actually an in- if i as dm need to go res- do research for this time it costs you more in game yep i actually did that suddenly that really <laughs> me. The more, literally the more work you make me do as dm the more it co- the more gold it costs you
0: Jeez, I well, like that a lot. Well, in this case it's guess, more it's more in-game time, uh, which is trying yeah. to buy myself the time to do the invention. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm going to take that. That's how I'm going to use it. Is okay. I'm going to charge my
1: players more yeah. the yeah. more design, work I, more have design work I have
0: to do or charging you in-game Great. gold. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's Great. good. It's good. Great. I love it. Um, what else do we have here in the middle, uh, we have scroll costs. So, uh, I made up a cost schedule for scrolls. I decided that that they could hire uh, this is again. This is kind of loosely inspired by Len Lakofka, the, the late great Len Lakofka. I, I started my campaign in Bone Hill. Um, Bone Hill specifies in, in the town of Restonford there is this sorcerer Peltar, and he has these three apprentices. Well, what are those apprentices doing day by day? I figured there's probably scribing scrolls for him. So you can buy those scrolls. Here they are. Uh, here's their cost schedule, and. And I decided kind of arbitrarily, although I like the split, especially with the uh, Book of Spells, that basically you can buy scrolls of first, second, or third level. That the higher level ones, no. You can't just buy those off the, off the charts. Sure. And then the cost increases. And then at one point, my players asked if they could get Peltar himself to scribe a third level scroll because they wanted the extra levels of casting. They wanted like a fireball as if cast by Peltar, not a fireball cast by the minimum. And I was like, oh, all right, sure. And so I put that line in there of double the cost for that. Great. Great. Um, the last set of charts is around gems. And here's here's where this one comes from. This is, I decided that in order to resurrect someone and to cast the uh, reincarnate spell, uh, you need a 500 gold piece gem, which is consumed in the casting. Yeah. And that's the that was a major pinch point money-wise for my campaign, was okay. it... If you want to resurrect somebody, it costs a lot of money, so they wouldn't waste it on like a first-level jerk. They would just make a new character. But if someone, if an important PC got killed, they would try to go find a gem, or or they even started hoarding them. Honestly, they would start trying to hoard the gems just in case they needed them.
1: Now that's a rule that like shows up in D and D in third edition, right? So the raised dead resurrection spells need exactly that. They need a five thousand gold piece diamond. Uh, And and in our economy, that turns into 500 here. Right. So that's uh, common ish
0: nowadays. Right, right. So um, my gem chart here is the very bottom chart, if you can read it, says, uh, Can I buy a 500 gold piece gem? (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's what they would ask. They go back to town. Can I buy a 500 gold piece gem? All right. So I made this ridiculous mechanic where I had them roll uh, uh, a d20 plus their raw charisma plus 75 and compare it on this chart. And that 75, I would vary based on how big of a city they're in. Great! Uh, and so, you know, since your charisma ranges from 3 to 18, that kind of gives you, uh, I think, bare minimum of, uh, like, 79, and then et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you can see the results here are anything from no, no an insult. Yes, read, but at a terrible cost. Read all, cost. Of it, read all oh, the results. That's sure, what I was laughing sure. at a couple minutes ago. Yeah, so read yeah. all the results, please. The results are one to five, no end insult, uh, which is, I, I mean, you've got to be in a terrible place and with horrible modifiers to actually get a number that low. From six to seventy-nine, no. The answer is just no. <laughs> uh, Eighty to ninety-three is yes, but at a terrible cost. Uh, so usually I would do things like, oh yeah, I have a gem. Don't ask me where it came from. <laughs> Don't ask me who might be looking for it. <laughs> and the players uh, frequently found themselves in hot water because they had bought a very hot gem, and uh, and somebody came looking for it. Uh, there's yes, but it takes D six days to get it, which is also terrible if you're trying to resurrect somebody because there's probably a time limit on that. Great, Jeez, that's uh, good. Yes, but it's worth ten D ten plus ten D ten value, so I have a better than five hundred gold piece gem to sell you and I want all the money for it. Great. And it's still going to get consumed. And then double zero and higher is just, yes, here you go. Great.
1: Great. That's lovely. That's lovely. It's it's brief. It's <laughs> favorful. There's a great ideas there. I like that's, that a lot. Uh,
0: that, um, yeah, my players spend a lot of time Either, either looking last minute for one of those gems and sinking like, yeah. pool the money, guys! we got to save, you know, Joe because he's really important and he died and, oh my god, we have three days left to resurrect him. Um, yeah, yeah. So that made some hilarious moments. And then also later in the game, they started trying to hoard them. They would be like, all right, that's, if we can find a gem that's worth this much money, it's, it's super valuable, so everybody pool in. We're going to buy it just because it's here and we're going to hang on Great. to it. Great. Great. Thanks.
1: So while you've been um, showing your your rules, there are a couple of questions have gone by in the chat. I think some people are talking about what what you know. So you mentioned potions and scrolls there like with Peltar's premises. And so a couple of people asked, like, what what exactly is in the books to original D&D? And there is a like, actually, I think it's like on about page four. It's like, here are your character classes. There are fighters. And there are magic user wizards, and among the thing magic user wizards can do is they can make magic items. And you get, like, it's only about six things. Like, there's a table of about six things for suggested magic items uh, and how much it would cost to create them for your magic users. But the problem is in original d that doesn't get unlocked until, I, if I recall correctly, 11th level. Jeez, uh, so yeah. by the book, original d magic users can't make any items at all, even a... First level potion or scroll until 11th level. So then you're in the situation, like even as the DM, as far as world building, of how many, I mean, none of my players have ever hit 11th level. Uh, How many 11th level wizards even are there in the world to deal with? Yeah. Maybe none. Um, And so over the years, you know, the question has been how much do you loosen up on that? And so from addition to addition to addition, basically that's been made a little bit easier, a little bit easier. Um, and, and you can see how Paul is house ruling certain things in his game in a way that feels right.
0: Yeah. Uh, A lot of, a lot of my stuff doesn't translate well to fifth edition. Right. And I can't charge uh, one of my very common early low level sinks was identifying magic items. Well, in fifth edition, any magic user can just cast that. Yeah. Eh. Right. Um, likewise, um, you know, you talked about like potions, right? In fifth edition, your basic uh, lowest, least powerful healing potion is in the basic equipment list. Mm-hmm. It's just right there. You can just buy them. Um, yeah. Which which also I've had frequently then brings up the question in my games of like, well, what about the bigger ones? Can I buy the fancier ones? And then I got to decide. Uh, what I've ended up doing, honestly, in my games is saying that like it depends on what town you're in and who's making them. And then I uh, and I use it as a kind of a forcing function to make my players move around. Right. Um, right. And he's like, "Oh, well, you you bought all the potions in town. It's going to take us another couple of weeks to brew more." Mm-hmm. Yep. I like that.
1: I like that. And I'll say as probably you know people who are familiar with my uh, OED house rules they know a I don't have any clerics. Uh, B I do try to fill in uh, the healing uh, you know silo mm-hmm. by I do allow potion, regular potions of healings to be bought, you know, at a particular price, and I actually add it to the basic equipment list. Yeah. Um, uh, so that is uh, a common thing. It's worked for me pretty well, actually. There was a point where I was worried, like, going to have so money, it's become kind of become a non-issue. But that actually has been actually kind of a nice stepping stone. It's a little bit more pricey than mundane stuff. It's a place whereby players are usually buying three or four per adventure. And it is, uh, and it's something they st- they've always had to think about.
0: Yeah, where do you land? Become... I'm curious, Jen. Where do you land in general on buying and selling of magic items?
1: Okay, you know what? We are not going to get. <laughs> <laughs> okay. we, I am realizing. So how many? I have. Yeah. I'm currently three lines into my notes. I have a page of notes. We've currently gotten three lines in, Mm -hmm. so I, so I think, Paul, we should have another episode just on buying and selling magic magic items because that's a whole. I I want to give that a proper treatment so much, Um, and it varies by edition. And it's and that's an interesting one because they've gotten you know it was it was it it, it wasn't a rule and then it was and it was like completely open field and then they retracted it. So that's actually a really interesting place where they've put that in the wall in some editions. So uh, future
0: episode of Wandering DMs. Future episode, absolutely buying and selling my so, materials. Okay.
1: The thing, but go. If you go back to the uh, the original D and D pages that I pulled out. Yep. After the magical research, which got us onto the potions and scroll stuff like that, there's construction, and we don't need to go into particular details about that. That's always been part of the game, uh, building. At a, you know, it, that's generally considered to be the end game of original D and D, is you yeah. are going to develop the wilderness you're going to take over territory you're going to build a castle and here are the the single biggest ticket items in the game presumably now you know do you want to have your players just sit on a giant wad of cash from levels one to nine and then spend it all on the castle at the end that might not be the best texture so maybe that's not the best solution in the world but it's always been there
0: I mean, we saw when we were looking at the fifth edition downtime activities, one of them is build a stronghold. And there are prices yeah. in there of like 50,000 yeah. gold. So, exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh,
1: so, moving on from that, now, now the other thing you mentioned, you know, you're going to get, you, you mentioned getting um, uh, galleys and carts, and then you got to hire people. So, then there's a page of mercenaries that you can hire and higher priced specialists like on this page there's a, you can see a ship captain and a smith and a spy and there's an alchemist mm-hmm. option things like that uh also mercenaries so that's always been part of uh and that's pretty obvious you know as we come away from the wargaming tradition that fed into DD, i mean they were wargaming immediately before this game was invented so of course you're going to be able to hire armies in the castle um, now, in but addition, some, that I, I, I want to yeah. say, I want to say,
0: there's, there's like spy to me jumps out as the most interesting yeah. one because what, it is. What, what that it is. implies to your campaign is fascinating. If I gotta hire a yeah. spy, it's such an interesting kind of backhanded way to say this kind of stuff can happen in your D D game.
1: I agree, I agree. And one of the things, you know, see, this is one of the things that I didn't really understand until I got my hands on the little brown books from 1974 is many of us are familiar from from later editions, like the assassin character Mm -hmm. has a special attack, right? Has a special assassination attack. And that's still in fifth edition. Um, And at least in first edition, you get this table of level of assassin, level of target. And there's just a percentile die roll for, did they die? Yep. And in first edition, like I look at that table and it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me, actually. It's like things here, but you, you completely short circuit the whole combat routine. Well, if you look back in original edition, uh, original edition D&D, you can see where the source was. And it was actually the very first supplement. And it was for offstage handling when you hire an assassin and send them yeah. stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you hire an assassin. Uh, and say go get this person you don't run. you don't actually play through the adventure of the combat there's just a flat percentage chance about whether the assassination worked or not now how does a spying mission work they use the same table
0: yep yep
1: (laughs) you you hire a spy of a particular level send them against some opponent and you look up in what was originally the assassination table use the exact same percentage and that's what tells you whether your spying mission was accomplished or not Great. So that, that that table finally made sense to me and obviously nowadays it's something very very different but I was like right right because you have to handle the offstage stuff when you're hiring hiring NPCs as you do
0: which I thought was interesting. It is really uh, it's very fascinating, very fascinating. I feel
1: like and you it, can hire it's... buys of different levels so you can suck yeah. out you know as much yeah. money as you can possibly spend which is which you know gives you some nuance there. The other thing on this page that I highlighted two, th- two paragraphs on the bottom of this page here is one is it, co- it also costs money just to find the people in order to hire them, <laughs> so you can't just queue up and say, I want a spy or I want heavy cavalry. First of all, you have to go advertise and hire a crier or put up you know, advertising to go find the people to hire in the first place and i think the rule there is 100 to 600 gold pieces just to put out the ad to get the person to come and apply for the job before you even hire them so in my original dnd games that's been a place that money is being sunk into is the hot the the advertising before the hiring
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: of henchmen and specialists and stuff like that and then the very last thing, which is the thing that I really wanted to highlight, is there's a paragraph titled Rumors, Information and Legends. And you know, in later adventures, we're familiar with starting with like a table of rumors about the dungeon or about the area or something like that that you parse out. But the original rule is you had to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And so the rumors uh, paragraph says here, you can go to a tavern And you can buy a round of drinks for 10 to 60 gold pieces and then get a rumor. And I rely on this. This doesn't show up in any later edition whatsoever, but I rely on this very, very heavily. Is Mm. I actually, in my games, I was actually not coming to the table and just saying, a man in a cloak comes and has a map and tells you there's a secret quest. I actually just sat at the table and said, you can go to the bar and you can pay money and maybe you'll find a rumor about a, a dungeon or something like that. And until that so basically the players have to
0: pay me to get an adventure. <laughs> That's fantastic. Before, well, it's, yeah. it's, you're queuing right into that, into yeah. that like. and do I have to write this adventure or was it pre-made? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> and as we all
1: know, not all rumors are true. So ton- sometimes they would queue up, they would pay money and I'd give them a false rumor and it was bunk. Yeah. Um and some and some players were like believing everything and some players were disbelieving every single thing. So there were some players that did believe that every single rumor I ever handed out was always false.
0: Oh geez, uh,
1: but the main, so so to me I feel like the funny thing is in my game it's the it's the reverse of the carousing rules, hmm. right? So the, the carousing rules work by you go on an adventure and then you get money and then at the end you spend it and maybe there's a complication. But for me, the spending actually happens first. You <laughs> have to spend money on a rumor to begin with that's going to get you into some terrible situation, and then you choose about whether to go explore that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so personally, I've really liked that as both a way to suck a reasonable amount of money out mm-hmm. um, to parse out both true and false rumors about dungeons or areas or places or people that are in the world. It's not always a dungeon. It's it, you know It has been counts ellensworth lives in a castle on the coast and is renowned for taking vast amounts of treasure and throwing it into the ocean (laughs) and is that a thing and some players believe it and some don't and like can we get that or not or is it just crazy or is he insane um so personally i look at this as the reverse of the carousing rules and i personally actually really liked it and i'm really surprised it hasn't been in later editions but you only you only find this in the original edition; and it never got into later editions. <laughs> but I've liked it. I really like the pay for rumors, pay for adventures aspect, yeah. and i have yeah. kind of into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I like it too. I like it too. You'll see, uh, we uh, I used it a bunch in that in, again in that birthday game, right, where we had had uh, decks of cards of rumors, both rumors at the tavern, and I think uh, the rantings of the. Um, uh, the cultist who had been uh, captured yes. by the right. by the baron. Right. So you could go. He was being
1: interrogated. He was being interrogated. Yeah.
0: You could go bribe some right. of the baron's men to tell you some of the rantings of the, or let you listen in on the rantings of their prisoner.
1: <laughs> when you first said that, I was like, "What? So <laughs> <laughs> what?" <laughs> I think that they was. Super well.
0: I think that was born honestly of me like assembling a rumor table and then looking at it, and being like, "But how would anyone know this?" How would it- Oh, they must it must be inside information. Oh, there must be an insider. All right. Yep. Someone's been captured.
1: <laughs> I will say, okay, so with my rumors, I will say there are I, I, I tend to play that a little bit more loosey-goosey, and I will yeah. say there have been a large number of things where the players have gone, how did anybody know that? <laughs> how did anybody <laughs> ever know that? And I kind of got into a habit of actually saying like well my great uncle was an adventurer and went into the dungeon and came back with this crazy story that nobody believed
0: yep yeah, yep yeah, yeah I guess yeah okay. yeah <laughs> okay.
1: you know there, there's one there's one last thing actually that I pulled up and I, you know it's it's funny because the comments keep pointing out things that I forgot about frankly but there's one last thing on my mind in original D&D if you go to the next image mm-hmm. <clears throat> which was the last thing pretty sure the last thing I had here um, was there's an upkeep rule mm-hmm in that red box that I have up there and we saw in fifth edition or third edition, you can choose a living level about whether you're living in a shabby hut or a, or a delightful mansion and in original D and D, you don't get a choice. Uh, there's just a flat upkeep of 1% of your experience. Interesting. Uh, per month, basically. Hmm. Um, and so as you, so having, geometric experience charts, uh, the amount that your upkeep costs per month goes up likewise, and you don't have any choice about it, you just got to pay that per month. (laughs) Um, I actually you know, and I use this, you see that again, it's in first edition, you basically have the same rule in first edition, AD&D. And I don't mind this, I actually don't mind the fact that it just abstracts away all the shop living in food whatever costs. And I just start the game. Every session I start, they're back in town. And I say, I actually, and I actually even take an average of all the PCs that are with us, as a matter of fact, and I just say, you all have to pay me 500 silver pieces a day. Hmm. Hmm. And it works pretty well to keep the, the ridiculous amount of money to a reasonable level. If someone's missed a couple sessions, all of a sudden they actually have a problem and they need to go adventuring. And it, it, it has worked pretty well to just keep a thumb on there is a pressure that you need to keep adventuring just to keep keep uh, keep sustenance on your plate. Um, so it's worked pretty well for me. The other thing is that, uh, the other little tidbit there is once you build a stronghold or a castle, uh, you don't need to pay the upkeep anymore.
0: Hmm. Because it it's self-maintains.
1: Uh, presumably so. Presumably yeah. you, you're not paying rent. Uh, presumably the peasants are providing you with, you know, with... with tithes or whatever we're going to call that
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. um uh so if you if you do go so again it's a specific incentive to go settle the wilderness yeah. build a castle because that would and, and at a high level obviously now you're paying enormous amounts for upkeep on a monthly basis so that actually is incentive there to wipe out the upkeep the interesting thing is in advanced dnd they actually flipped it when you went to first edition you build a castle and now there's actually an upkeep on maintaining the castle and it actually reverses that interesting I actually really like that rule of uh, fixed upkeep. Again, it it, so I even I go so far as sometimes I'll have players like I had players come to the big city and we have a we have a a moment where they haggle about the fee to get into the city. Okay, so it's going to cost you've got a cart this, this it's going to cost you one gold piece each to get in the city. And the players take a pencil and go to strike out the one gold piece. And I say, yeah, don't actually do that. (laughs) we're not actually literally going to keep track of that that's going to be wrapped up in your monthly upkeep cost
0: okay okay interesting interesting um uh so okay wait I got a lot to react to and I'm trying to wind back here (laughs) Um, I have now gotten six lines into my page of notes (laughs) (laughs) um I like upkeep costs. Um, I do like them being more open-ended. Um, if you um, if you watch some of Ten Dead Rats, you'll see one of the m- most common things that my players are spending money on is nicer inns and fancier clothes. And the, the mm-hmm. nice part is that the fancy clothes uh, that's right out of Warhammer Fantasy uh, Roleplay book. There's just you know how fa- it's it's almost the same chart. It's almost the same chart as the upkeep chart, but it's just clothing. How nice do you want your clothes to look? And my players are frequently using that because they need to like blend in in some lo- Oh, we we have to go to this fancy party. We better look like we belong. Uh, and then suddenly they're they're spending a lot of money on nice clothes. Um, For me,
1: I'll say I you know I've mostly you know. Then you like what is the up what is the increasing upkeep on is obviously a question. And I have ramped up like your your food is nicer, your clothes are nicer. Now you're eating meat every every meal, and you're getting fancy bird feasts, and you're getting fantastic wine and scotch imported from distant towns and stuff like that and yep, so that's yep. and, and you're crazy lunatic near do well adventurers and you just can't control yourselves can't. and so you just <laughs> money around on enormous amounts of alcohol and you can't you literally can't control yourself you don't have a choice
0: <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting to just automate that I guess um, I guess I like I like it open ended just because I think that my players will go farther than I do that they'll okay. they'll they'll just dump oh. <laughs> more money into it and just be like no 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 I really go wild I really I've seen <laughs> I've seen DMs
1: on Twitter with the yeah. with the opposite problem I've told yeah. just just three days ago I saw a DM on Twitter say no matter what I do my 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 uh, players will not do anything but the lowest level of living situations they will absolutely live in a ditch uh, if if it will save them the two oh. gold pieces. And I cannot get them to go at any higher level than the lowest possible level of, of
0: live in a ditch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's when I would start putting plot pressure on them of like, you know, oh, here's this, this plot line of the, you know, the local baron has this great, uh, you know, money making or whatever it is that motivates your characters has this great proposition for you, but you can't get in the freaking castle. Because you're a bunch of wretched scum who stink.
1: Can I can I introduce you to Dave Arnes' random disease table? If I had the opportunity to introduce you to the random disease table.
0: Yep, yep, yep. That's excellent. That's excellent. <laughs> Um, I think that we have hit all of the items, um, on my, on my list of ways that I generally, uh, sap my players of money. We certainly were starting, I think, at the end there of what you were going over, edging into the other conversation on economy, which maybe we can reference Play, yeah. Viewers, back. Go watch the other episode where we talked about all the problems of running a running a castle and and uh, macroeconomics within your within your game because it's a whole other ball of wax. So we
1: we clearly have a pin in a future episode about what is the economy around magic items specifically? Mm-hmm. Can you buy them? Can you sell them? Can you design them? Can you research them? Uh, how much? When? Where? Why? So yep. that's a whole topic in itself we didn't get into yep. um, other things, you know, first edition has a training rule that we didn't get into. Right. So at least in advanced D&D, when you level up, you got to pay for that. you got to yep. spend two or three or four weeks and pay for that. Uh, not something that I use in my games these days. I don't think you do either, Paul.
0: No, but I, I just a very interesting side note, one of my favorite very kind of light role play games, which is, bare, is barely a role-playing game, is, of course, Warhammer Quest. And yeah. um, interesting thing is, is how this kind of, it kind of collapses a lot of things we just said because there's no experience points in Warhammer Quest. You literally just have to buy your levels. It just costs money. So, oh, oh, oh. which I think is really fascinating, right? Because it's sort of like, it's both combining the, you get XP for money and you have yeah. to pay training costs just into one, like, no, you just buy levels. Uh-huh. They, just cost, they just cost money.
1: All <laughs> yeah, right. You know what? Yeah, once again, all right. That's, you know, never, that never crossed my mind, but that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> And the 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 other thing that we didn't get to, and, and I know a couple of people in, in, in chat have mentioned it because they're good ideas, is if you look at the first edition uh, DMs guide, and I do quote page ninety here. Uh, there's a there's a several page section on the economy, and there's a subsection uh, with the headline uh, duties, excises, fees, tariffs, taxes, and tolls. Nice. And you get about six or seven paragraphs on the subject of duties, excises, fees, tariffs, taxes, tides, and tolls. And uh, Gary Gygax, uh, bless him, uh, gives you a definition of each of those seven different categories and then goes through and gives a suggested example that's, uh, that's 1% of all goods brought into a town or 2% if they are luxury items on the value. The entry fee is one copper piece per head or wheel or five copper pieces if you're non-citizens, and then annual taxes of one copper per peasant, or one silver if you're a freeman, or one gold piece if you're noble, and then ten percent sales tax on all sales items. And <laughs> now, okay, you know, and I got to admit, look, as someone who is, uh, you know, loves reading, and I got the DMs guide, is a very young person and i read it religiously and i'm a little bit on the spectrum and it's in the book and i was like it's in the book it's in black and white that's the rule i'm going to do that in my games and you know with the with the wisdom of age that i'm slowly accruing uh i don't think it's a great idea to be charging one copper piece per head or wheel or five if you're a non-citizen coming town, and that's actually why now when I saw original DD and I went, wait, that's not in here. That's not that's, <laughs> core. that's not a critical part. The the training's not in here, and the and the one percent uh, sales fee isn't in here. That's not a core part of D D. You don't need that in D and D at all. Um, and now that I have the just the fixed upkeep, I'm like kablam, there's your answer. So I don't actually do that anymore. That's I just fine. wrap it in the. Air. Yeah,
0: there's there's some interesting elements in the D and D rules, like like the, um, I think the the charts for assassination and, and spying and whatnot. Where I feel like they they somehow missed the interesting part, right? There's like, oh, players want intrigue in their games. Okay, let's give them accountancy tables. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're imp- you're almost there, man. You're almost there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, know, and then, you know, and then there are players from the earliest days that say, yeah, what uh, Gary and Dave wrote in the rules, that's not remotely how they played.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And you're, crazy to, you're crazy to try to use what, he, what they wrote down on paper, because what they were doing, they were not able to express on paper. That's just a totally different thing. And I don't know. So here we are back in Rush Rashomon, uh, uh situation. <laughs> Nobody really knows what the hell the original game was.
0: Alright, well, we're about out of time. Um, If you have any thoughts on other ways to sap your players of money during a D&D game, uh, definitely leave that in the comments. We'd love to hear more thoughts on that. Uh, I think you can never have enough ideas, I think, on how to make your players poor. Uh, So... Uh, leave us leave us some comments below, uh, and if you have thoughts on on the uh, the tease future episode of uh, what is the economy around magic items, uh, leave us some thoughts as well on that, and we'll uh, roll that into next uh, episode.
1: I agree. We probably missed a bunch of stuff. Uh, we we had a bunch of other things we wanted to get to, but we have to wrap it up now because accurate time records must be kept. <laughs> saying that over and over add your time records must be kept and we are now at the end of our hour so.
0: oh dear
1: Remember, you're new to the show
0: yeah it's not all yeah.
1: hardcore analysis of <laughs> d and stuff and how you can use it today in your games so hopefully there's some maybe some options if you're a fifth edition player some options that you hadn't thought about because they only exist in earlier editions or maybe other games and Feel free to try them out in your fifth edition game and see if that uh, if that's an improvement or not. Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: And remember that if you are new to the show, you can like and follow and subscribe to us uh, here on YouTube uh, or Twitch or uh, Twitter or Facebook. And we do have uh, the handle WanderingDMs on all of those sites. Also, WanderingDMs.com and the
0: WanderingDMs GitHub
1: if you're a coder. <laughs> <coughs>
0: Uh, If you prefer to listen to the sound of our voice and uh, not see our smiling faces, you can get podcast-only versions of our shows on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find them through various podcast carriers such as Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. If you're listening to us on one of those uh, locations, please take a moment to rate and review us there. Uh, That helps other folks on those platforms find us, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yes, uh, it really does. And um, of course, thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. Uh, what we do here is totally dependent on your support and we appreciate it so much. If you have the capacity and you would like to join our generous patrons, please do visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms and you see the different tier levels and benefits that we roll out, uh, including uh, right after the talk show, we go to our private discord channel and continue the conversation. Uh, with our patrons who choose to join the Discord, and, and if you are a patron, please do join in and tell us about the things that you will like today or the things that you think we ought to try that we haven't thought about in the past. Uh, don't forget upcoming shows. Uh, Paul has Tented Rats on Thursday. Uh, uh, we will have spotty Saturday Book of War shows uh, with Dan and Isabel, maybe one this Saturday, maybe not. If you subscribe to YouTube or Twitch, you'll see upcoming events. Uh, before they before they happen Saturday night, uh, and of course we're back next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, we have uh, planned a special guest. We have John Peterson, author, uh, historian, D and D historian extraordinaire, author of uh, Playing at the World, and he's also released a new book recently, which I embarrassed my now my mind escapes me. It's it's uh, the Radical Shift. I think I think it's the Radical Shift. If I recall correctly, and so. I will uh, be reading that very quickly uh, next week. This week and, uh, we'll have John Peterson on next Sunday, uh, which is February 7th, I believe. Uh, and we'll talk all about his new book and whatever else. So please join us and get in some questions to John. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to answer those. So that's what we have coming up. Is that it? That's pretty good. Awesome. Well, that's already a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you want?
0: What do you want? I mean, I'm killing myself over here. people. <laughs> Uh, I'll make a quick mention that um, uh, viewers of this of this show may remember uh, back in May, uh, we hosted a panel for a convention on creating custom monsters uh, with a bunch of DMs Guilds, folks. Uh, that panel actually uh, generated a product uh, accidentally. Uh, the, everyone on that panel, myself included, uh, ended up contributing to a, a book that is coming soon to DMs Guild called the Cubanomicon which features 32 variations of the classic Dungeon Crawler. That's right, 32 different versions of the Gelatinous Cube uh, for uh, you to torment your players with. Uh, I've used some of them myself in a little playtesting in some of my games, um, and uh, the players were pretty horrified. So uh, check that out on DM's Guild coming soon.
1: I've, I've seen it, and it's a, it's a delightful product. It's, I, I've loved gelatinous cubes all uh, my life, and uh, there's a lot of uh, really clever twists on that, including at least half a dozen by Paul himself, actually. So uh, I actually like that product a lot. So uh, don't forget, we'll be back next Sunday with John Peterson to talk about his uh, new book, The Elusive Shift. Uh-huh. The Elusive the new book. Uh, big thanks to Mr. Miller, who is a critical component of our live research staff here <laughs> at Wandering DM, so thank you for that. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so uh, John Peterson with us next Sunday, and uh, I'm certainly looking forward for that. Uh, and of course, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So we hope that you'll be back next week to join us for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.